Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. Scott did a great job hosting that. And, uh, and as a Gen, Gen Xer, a neutral participant there, um, so that was, that was good. Although I would have to say that um, I, so Keith made the millennial questions. I actually made the boomer questions. And I, I would have known more of the boomer questions than I would have the millennial questions. So I don't know if that says anything about me or I don't know. Some of you are maybe sad or some of you are maybe happy about that. I don't know. Uh, but I know some of you might be asking, well, why in the world did we, uh, did we do that You know, when we're doing this at a church service? And the reason is, is it actually was an extended illustration. Um, because we're talking about change today. We're talking about the struggle with change. And one of the things that you'll find is, is that even though uh, in the course of history, you know, human history, which has been thousands of years, the difference between boomers and millennials is actually really very small in the experiences that they've had. You know, they have more in common than they have different. And yet, just with that few years difference, you can see you know, how differently they think and the experiences that they have. And, and so you can see how fast time changes things. Um, it's always been that way. But of course, historians will tell you today that change today is happening faster. In fact, it's happening at an exponential pace today, um, especially in the areas of technology and science. Um, and as our world is becoming more and more connected and we start to uh, find... Uh, we start to come into contact with people from other cultures. Um, all of a sudden, there are new ideas that are coming into our culture, and these changes are happening, happening very, very quickly. Um, and, and it's really easy for us, and especially for, for older people, to believe that the world is starting to pass them by. I'm only 48 years old. I'm not even 50 yet, and sometimes I feel that way. And I don't know if anybody else uh, feels that way as well. And there are a lot of different ways that we experience this, a lot of different changes that happen in our world. Of course, one of them is, is changes in our society. Many of us feel that. Um, I mentioned, of course, technological changes, but, but even a lot of the old institutions that we used to rely on to give stability to our culture are, are starting to fall, that people don't have the same kind of trust in institutions that they used to, whether it's the church or even banks or, you know, everything is changing um, in, in that respect. Uh, our moral landscape continues to change change and the values that society has today seem to be sort of turned on their head from, uh, from just a few years ago. And because of all of these factors, there are a lot of Christians who, who worry about the state of the church. What's going to happen um, as the years go on? Um, many of us uh, grew up in a very different church than we have today. And on top of those societal changes, as we get older, we all experience personal changes as well. Our bodies um, are really the most noticeable. Um, gravity takes over, gray hair, wrinkles start to form, you know, things that used to be up are now down, and, uh, you know, th things in our body, our, our physical appearance changes, our physical ability changes. We can't do the things that we used to, to be able to do, and, uh, you know, especially people who who have found their identity in their physical appearance or their physical ability. You know, as time goes on, you start to lose that. And you start to lose your identity because of it. And we feel a huge sense of loss. And, and that happens over time. As your, as your life changes, you grow from child to teen to working years. Maybe someday you get married. Maybe you have children or grandchildren. And, and while each of those things comes with many gifts 
they also can present you with many struggles as well. And so as we get started today, I wanted to invite Loretta. Loretta, I'm so glad that you're able to make it today. Um, I want to invite Loretta up here, and I want to have just a, a very quick conversation with Loretta. And let me um, grab this mic here for, for her. And, uh, and I, I want to talk about some of those changes. Some of you know Loretta. Uh, Dick and Loretta have been a part of this church for many, many years. Um, and, um, and, you know, they've been undergoing a lot of, a lot of changes in their life lately. Um, and Loretta, can you maybe just explain very briefly kind of some of the changes that are happening in your, in your life um, recently? Do you want the biggest, excuse me, the biggest change? Sure, yeah. <laughs> well, that would be my husband. And every time I talk about this, I start crying. Mm -hmm. But we've been married, we'll be 57 years. It has developed Parkinson's and it's just changed everything. Mm -hmm. So where he used to be my provider, mm -hmm. I'm now his provider. Yeah. And it's not an easy road. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, we had a phone conversation yesterday. I, I, I was happy to, to see Loretta because she called me and she said, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it because, you know, there's a lot of Sundays that Dick can't even get out of bed. And, and so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to be there. And, and uh, you know, she was able to make it. And I'm not sure if you're even able to stay for the whole service. Or no, I left him at home. I'm yeah. afraid. The last time I left him alone, I came home and found him on the floor. So, but he was in good spirits and he was up and dressed, so I think he's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, I will be going home. Yeah, so maybe this is an obvious question, but, but how has that impacted your life? How, how has that, you know, what kind of changes have you had to make to your life as a result of that? We can't travel anymore. That was a big part of our life with Montagues and camping. We've had to give that up. Um, I'm just at home all the time. Yeah. So it is a big change. I can't just go out when I feel like it. So, yeah, it's yeah. a struggle. Yeah. And do you uh, mind, just the last question, um, do you mind maybe talking a little bit about how that impacts you? Like, how do you, how, how do you feel about that? And how does that, has that changed, um, like, your relationship with God and, and how you interact with God? Well, it does make you ask the question, why? Mm -hmm. You know, we have... A good marriage. We've done a lot of things together and we expect to do a lot more. Yeah. But no, it has not changed my relationship with God. Yeah. In fact, it's probably, probably made me trust him more because you just can't get through the day without saying, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me have a happy face. And it's... <laughs> it's kind of hard for me not to even yell at my husband sometimes because he just doesn't understand things and he, he's so slow and I want to hurry. And it's, but no, it will not ever change my relationship with God. That's the only thing that has sustained us and our marriage and the relationship between our children. It's all been good and it's because of the Lord. So. I will keep serving him <laughs> till the end. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Loretta. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.
you can see, those are, those are some big changes. And they're, and they're ones that, that all of us, to one degree or another, will have to go through um, when, we, when we talk about what, what happens personally. Um, there are also changes in the church. Um, of course, changes in the big C church, but there are also changes in, in little C church as well. Um, many of you have been around this church for many, many years. You know, uh, Loretta, I don't know how many years Loretta has been here, or, or, or Jim, or Don and Jim. You, know, you guys um, have been around for many, many years, and you've seen many changes happen um, over the course of those years. I've been here for 10 years, and there have been many changes here, and a lot of them are ones that I caused, and so I'm sorry if you don't, if you don't like them. If you like them, then, then great. Um, but, but, you know, even, even with that, you know, for many of you who have been a part of this church for many years, there, there are changes that you've made, and, and it's maybe not what you would prefer. Um, but I also know that there are many of you who go, oh, man, there, there, there are new people here, and there's, there's a life here, there's a vitality in the church that are happening, and some of them as a, as a result of the changes. And, and even though I, it's not really what I prefer, and it's not really what I'm comfortable with, I understand it, uh, but even when you do that, there's still a sense of loss, that this is not... This is not what I've had in the past. And, uh, and, and I know that there are, there are sometimes, like one church um, in the Twin Cities made national headlines lately. Maybe you heard about it. I think it's down in uh, Maple Grove or Invergrove Heights or something like that. They said they're, they're closing the doors of the church and they're going to reopen again in six months. And, uh, and they've said that all of those, uh, the elderly people who were a part of that church are not welcome back when it reopens. Uh, because they want to, because they want to open it up, and uh, they want to get younger. They want to, you know, start reaching the younger generation and all of that. And so they've told the old, older generation, "You're not welcome back." And uh, you know, and I don't know what all is going on um, with that, but it, but it seems, you know, kind of, kind of strange, you know, that that a, that a church would do something like that. Um, at the same time, there are many of you, even some of you, um, like younger people, you know, new, new families that are coming, all of that. You know, maybe you, maybe you feel that there's a sense of loss in, in being a part of, of a church that doesn't feel familiar anymore. And, uh, and a lot of times we can, we can be critical of people who want to have their way and all of that, but there is a sense of loss. And sometimes there's, there's some mourning that, that has to happen uh, when things change in the church. Uh, sometimes our, our circumstances change too. Because it can be a loss of independence. It can be a loss of a loved one or a new job. Uh, some changes, not all changes are bad. Some changes are actually good changes, uh, but, they're, but they're still hard. Um, and in fact, I wanted to invite uh, Pastor Keith up here uh, because I want to have a little conversation with him too. And uh, so I just wanted to, to talk to him about some changes that uh, are going to be happening um, with him as well. And so would you like to, would you like to explain changes? Not so much. <laughs> uh, about, so Corey and I, for about a year now, have been discussing, a little under a year, um, have been discussing my future. And, and part of that, I guess the, the biggest thing there is that eventually I won't be working here anymore. Um, so come probably sometime around June. Um, and I think that's been, I brought it up to Corey. Corey didn't bring it up to me. And, uh, and, I, and I think there's, there's two major things there um, at play factoring into that decision. And 
Um, the first is that, I don't know if they're necessarily in order, but uh, I feel called, led to be a lead pastor. And, uh, and I think there are plenty of great churches out there that need lead pastors. And, uh, and the other one is really feeling like the next step for our church is a family pastor. Um, and so it seems best for, um, for everybody. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, a lot of times when, when we talk about making changes, um, and, and especially when we talk about like a pastoral transition or something like that, um, everybody asks, well, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? What happened? There's something else that's happening behind the scenes. And, and I just want to tell you, there's nothing else happening behind the scenes. Um, there, there just comes a time, you know, and I, and I knew it when, when Keith came. Um, I, I always tell people that, that Keith was probably one of the best decisions that I've made since I've come here and, uh, in, in hiring him. And, um, but I, but I al- always knew that it was only going to be for a limited amount of time uh, because I knew that he's a high-capacity guy, he's sharp, he, he knows what he's doing, and, uh, and he will be ready um, to, to lead a church somewhere, and, uh, and I cannot keep him from that. I don't want to keep him from that. And, uh, and so, but, but what you see here is, is that even though it's a, it's a change and there will be a lot of people who are very sad about that and, and, and maybe even, you know, there's some, some bittersweet there, you know, because we're happy for Keith to be able to take the next step um, in, in his ministry and we're happy for whatever church he goes to. Um, because he'll do, he'll do a great job there. You know, there's still some sadness here because he and Valerie and the kids have been, uh, you know, part of this community, have had uh, two kids that were born, you know, here in Minneapolis. And, uh, and so I, I don't know. I mean, I guess from your perspective, how do, you, how do you see it? How do you see this change? How do you look back on this time? And, you know, when you look ahead, what, uh, what kinds of feelings do you have about that? I think... Uh... I would agree with everything that Corey has said, and I think, um, man, I think Holly and I were, were, or maybe it was in a text message with all of us, but I just mentioned that one of the, it is the best um, kind of staff culture that I've ever been a part of, either in the secular world or the Christian world, um, just my favorite workplace environment, um, and a lot of that most of that, all of that has to do with Corey's leadership. So he's awesome to work for, and it's been um, just a blessing to be part of this church. Um, and I think even when Corey hired me originally, Corey reached out to me and said, asked me if I would consider applying to Wait Park Church. Um, and I think my initial response was something like, no. Um, I just had a lot of questions, tons of questions, tons of questions yeah. <laughs> about like, are you running the ship correctly? Um, and then he responded to that email and I sent him another email with tons of questions. While I was responding to that question, <laughs> to those questions, yeah. I got more questions. <laughs> and, uh, and so some of that, some of that came from, um, a, a place of growth and healing for me, um, and I got to experience that growth and healing under Corey's leadership at Wade Park Church, and that's been really cool. And I can look back on um, just my my time here and see how much I've changed and I've grown, um, and I appreciate that a lot. So, yeah, and, and you've certainly left a, a huge imprint on the church here too. I mean, you built um, the small group ministry and and have done a really great job of doing that, along with all kinds of other things that um, that you know without 
your um, input into it without your um, work and, and diligence and faithfulness and all of that, uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be what we are today. And so, you know, it's been, I've, I've really, you know, appreciated you working here. Yeah. Now, now we're not, I don't think we're saying goodbye yet right. uh, because it might, you know, might still be a few months before that happens. He still has to look for a job. Um, <laughs> I've been looking. <laughs> he has been looking. <laughs> um, what I wanted to do, and I know, you know, we had this discussion in board meeting the other day because, you know, once, once June comes, you know, his employment here is done and, and uh, one of the board members was like, well, yeah, but what if he doesn't find a job? I'm like, too bad for him, you know? <laughs> No, but, I, but what I wanted to do was I wanted to give him enough window of opportunity, you know, to be able to find the right thing and not feel like he has to, you know, jump on the first opportunity that comes, um, you know, and, and really the time for change in the Wesleyan Church is right around June 1st. And, uh, and so it's now that it'll start ramping up and we don't know when a church, you know, might need someone, uh, but when that time comes, we want him to be ready and available to be able to take the opportunity when it comes. And uh, so, you know, we don't, we don't know whether it'll be a month or two months or June or, you know, we just, we just don't know. And, and uh, you know, so I, I guess probably one of Keith's biggest prayers is uh, help him find a job, right? Sure. <laughs> and uh, anything else that uh, people can pray for? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think through all of this, just processing this, um, I really foresee one of two options, right? Either God's will lines up exactly with my timing and desires and plans, um, and we get a, the job that God has in mind for us at a church that God has in mind for us, and everything works out perfectly, and we serve a God that's big enough to do that. Um, even with all of the concerns of the world right now, we still serve a God who's big enough to factor in um, Keith's family and the timing of Way Park Church and all of that. Um, option number two is that we go through a period of waiting and faith and trust and patience and figuring things out in the meantime. And we certainly also serve a God who doesn't give us everything we want exactly when we want it. Um, and we serve a God who does ask us to wait, and we serve a God who asks us to trust. And so, you know, um, surrender. That would be my the, the biggest prayer. So I guess two things. One, that we would be able to provide for the needs of our family, and two, that we would have just a disposition of surrender and trust um, with God in it all. Okay, thanks. Yep. Appreciate it, Keith. Changes. That's, uh, that's what happens in life. Change, really the only constant in life is change. Um, so oftentimes, whether changes are good or bad, small personal things or societal things, big events that impact the world, change can be really, really hard, and many of you feel the weight of those changes, um, and you can feel them at, at different times. Um, and when you do, it's really easy for us to, to feel like we're losing control or to feel like we're losing our bearings, or to feel like we're losing our, our anchor in life. Um, and of course, probably the biggest reason when we struggle with change is, is when change, when we can't anticipate it, when we can't understand it, when we can't control it, that's what makes change even, even harder in our lives. And that's, that's really the heart of it. Um, 
We usually like change when we're the ones that are making the changes, uh, when it's something that's going to benefit us in the long run, uh, but when those changes are imposed on us, that's when it gets hard as well. And we all respond to change differently. Um, there, of course, there are different ways that we can do depending on what the change is. Many of us will fight it. You know, we'll fight it tooth and nail. Sometimes we'll get outraged by things, and there's sometimes there are things that we should get outraged by. And sometimes there are things that are just a matter of opinion or taste or habit, or maybe we don't fight it, but we complain about it. You know, there's some of us who, when change happens, we just complain incessantly uh, about those changes, and that's the way we deal with it. Or sometimes we moralize about things that maybe aren't even wrong, uh, but are just different, and we're not used to them. And uh, so we handle it that way. On the other end of the spectrum are people who are quick to jump on every change that happens, and, and they don't really even think about it. They don't think about the impact that's, that's going to happen. Um, I think this is the case for a lot of our society that are very quick to jump on changes, and, and if you're not ready to change, then they talk about how outdated you are, behind the times, or on the wrong side of history, or things like that. And so we throw out methods or beliefs far too quickly. You know, or there are some people who get anxious and they just withdraw to the familiar when change comes, where they have more control. You know, and, and each one of these responses have their place at various times of life. You know, there are some changes that it's better to resist. There are some changes that we should accept and, and, and sometimes even there's a, uh, an opportunity for us to be able to withdraw as these changes happen and, and, uh, and deal with it. But, but the question is, is what does the Bible say about change, about how we should handle change? Because that's really the most important thing, right? We are people who want to be shaped by Scripture. And, uh, and so what does it have to say about it? Well, I was looking um, there, and unfortunately, the Bible doesn't have really a section that talks about these are the five easy steps to handle change, okay? You don't find anything like that in Scripture. Um, and, uh, but the Bible did give us something that we call perspective, and, uh, you know, I, I think about it this way. Many of you know that I had some eye surgery um, fairly recently in November, and uh, um, it wasn't LASIK surgery, it was uh, lens replacement. So I had my natural lenses replaced with bionic lenses that have laser vision and uh, also x-ray vision, and I can also get on the internet on them, just in, okay. Part of that is true, you can decide what, what part is. Anyway, um, so I had this experience, and many of you who have had cataract surgery before, I think have had this same experience, um, is that there were, there were about two weeks apart when I had the surgeries. They wanted to make sure the first one went okay, I think. And so they were about two weeks apart, so I spent two weeks with one new lens and one old lens. And there's something that I noticed is that when I would close one eye and I would look through it, I would have a vision that would look something like this. Okay, with the, with, the, uh, with the old eye. I don't know if this is going to work on this screen. Okay, but then when I would switch and I would turn the other one off, it looked like this. And, and so what I saw was there were two tints. One of them was kind of yellowish, and one of them was like bright and clear and, 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 and all of that. And it was weird when I would switch back and forth, you could see the difference in those. Did anybody else have that? A few of you have had cataracts. Okay, I think that's a, I think that's a normal thing um, when you do that. Uh, but basically, that new lens colors the way I see the world, right? And this is what you call perspective, okay? When you start to look through a different lens, then it starts to color your world and you start to see things a little bit differently. Well, 
the passage that, that Brian read a little bit earlier was a passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And what you find is, is that in Scripture, um, and in Ecclesiastes in particular, um, it's, a, it's a book that's intended to change our perspective. It doesn't necessarily tell us everything that we ought to be doing, uh, but it changes our perspective on things. Um, it colors our perspective. Now, the book itself is one that was written by an author, but the author talks about a teacher. And, uh, and the teacher is the one who, throughout the bulk of the book, does all of the teaching. And it's really almost more of a stream of consciousness, talking about, talking about life. And throughout the book, he repeats this word, and it's the Hebrew word, hevel. And, and many English Bibles, and I think this is unfortunate, but many English translations translate that word as meaningless. So when you think about the book uh, Ecclesiastes, you probably think about that phrase, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, the problem is, is that it, is that's overly pessimistic. That's not really the sense of the word. It's not, a, it's not probably a good translation that we have. Um, and that, that, that Hebrew word hevel uh, literally means smoke or vapor. And, uh, and, and it carries with it really a couple of different meaning, meanings. The first meaning is, is that life is, is short. It's, it's fleeting. Okay? And, and this is something that you learn with age. Those of you who are older, you know this. Um, those of you who are younger, you probably haven't experienced it yet, or maybe in, in small pieces. But you think, you know, when you're younger, we always think, wow, I've got this whole life ahead of me, 80 years or however much I've got to live. That just seems like such a long ways away. And those people who are older, you look at them and you go, you've lived for such a long time. But once you live those years and you're looking back on them, it's so, you know, you just go, man, where did the time go? Has that been your experience? Yeah, we always feel like we're younger than what we really are, <laughs> you know, especially as you get older. You look back on it and you go, wow, where did, the, where did, where did my life go? And that's what it's talking about. Life is fleeting, that, that one minute you're young and you're doing all these things and the next minute you're dealing with aging and you're looking back on your life and going, man, there are so many things uh, that, that happened in my life. Where did the time go? Um, and so that's one of the, the senses of that word. The other one um, is also the idea that life is an enigma. You know, one of the problems with the word meaningless is that, is that we think that it means that the teacher is saying, well, I've examined life and I know the answer and I've found out that life is meaningless. Uh, but that's not really the sense. The, the sense is really, it's an enigma. I've been looking at this and there are some things that are going on in life, there are things that happen in life that just don't make any sense. I cannot figure this out. Um, and... and um, you know, just when you think you understand, life changes and you realize that you don't know anything. And, uh, and, and so the teacher goes through this, this poem, you know, in verses 1 through 8 and explains all of the various things that, that happen in life and um, uh, just one thing after another. And, and he talks about, you know, that we all try to find our bearings. We all try to find our anchor in various things, in our work, in wealth, in pleasure. But he says all of these things are hevel. All of it is just a vapor. Um, does that seem to be true to life? Just when you think you have it figured out, um, you're, you're left wondering what in the world is going on. Well, in the middle of the book, 
We find chapter three, what we read earlier, and it starts with this famous poem, and, and those of you who are boomers probably know that song by the birds that is based on it, to every season, or to everything, turn, turn, turn. You know, a good, a good hippie song, I think. Uh, there's a time for everything and every season under heaven uh, to be born, to die, to plant, to harvest, to cry, and to laugh. And, and we're not gonna take the time to analyze the poem. In fact, that's not really the purpose of the poem. Um, it doesn't lend itself to that. It's not prescriptive. It's not saying sometimes you should kill and sometimes you should not kill. Um, it's, not, it's not really that sort of thing. But the point of the poem is, is that life happens. And within life, we find this never-ending succession of seasons and opposite events that go back and forth and back and forth. And it just acknowledges that things don't always go the way we want them to. And a lot of it just depends on, on the season that's going on. It swings back and forth. And, and it's simply describing life from beginning to end. But what the poem acknowledges is that life, life consists of the spectrum, the full spectrum of experiences. And it takes us from pleasant to unpleasant, from the joyous to the tragic, from success to failure, from birth to death. You know, God does not always keep us from unpleasant things um, or even downright hard things. Life isn't all bad, but life isn't all good either. And the hard part about it is, is that we cannot predict when it's going to be good and when it's going to be bad. Life is an enigma. Okay, that's, what, that's what the poem is all about. I was listening to, the other day, listening to the, the Bible Project guys, and they have a podcast, um, and it, it's really interesting because these are, are smart guys. You know, the, the one guy who I, I think is the, the theologian of them, and he's a, uh, you know, he has a PhD in Christian theology and, and all of that, so he's a, he's a sharp guy. And they have conversations about the videos that they produce, and we've watched a number of them. Uh, very, very uh, deep theology behind those. And, and, and basically the podcast is them talking about why they made the decisions that they did to characterize a book this way or that way. Um, and you get a lot of insight into a lot of the details, the things that they couldn't include, the things that they could. And, and I was listening to... Uh, listening to the podcast on, on Ecclesiastes here. And they started talking about the wisdom literature in the Old Testament as a whole, the Psalms, Proverbs, Job, uh, Ecclesiastes. And he said there, they said there are some differences that you see in those. Like, for instance, when you read the Proverbs, you almost get this sense that if you do this, then this will happen. Okay? If you are a good guy, then people will be good to you. If you work hard then, and, and save your money, you will be wealthy. And it seems like there, in the Proverbs, a lot of times it seems like there's this, um, there's this sort of direct correlation between how we act and what we get out of life. Um, if you're a kind person, then people will be kind back to you. But when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it's different. You know, it's just a different sort of thing. Um, what puzzles the teacher the most is that, in fact, yes, in general and for the most part, life works that way. If you work hard, probably a better chance that you will be able to you know, uh, collect some money and that. But it doesn't always work that way. Okay? And it's hard to figure out why. Life is an enigma. Now, you might wonder, well, what does all this have to do with changes and things that are going on? Well, well, it's just this. So earlier we talked about perspective, 
talked about gaining perspective. Most of us were raised in this culture, raised with a modern uh, scientific perspective. Um, And because of that, we live with this illusion that we should be able to anticipate, understand, control, or fix whatever happens in life. Okay? That's the idea that our, that our society gives us. But we struggle when change happens, when we run into a situation that we can't anticipate or understand or control or fix it. And so what the teacher says in Ecclesiastes was true then and it's true now, that we are not going to be able to make sense of everything that happens in our lives. Sometimes things will happen and people will do things that we don't understand. What in the world were you thinking? Okay, or changes will happen before we're ready for them. And, and that is just life. That is what's going to happen to us. We can never change that. But in this passage, when we get to verse 9, actually verses 9 through 14, we find a commentary on that poem, verses 1 through 8. And the commentary is actually the thing that is intended to change our perspective on life. And so we can respond appropriately throughout the changes of life, throughout the seasons of life. And this is what it says. And we're just going to start in verse 12. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but verse 12. He writes this, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Okay, let's look at three things, three maybe attitudes that can help us to navigate the changes of life. And I think they apply differently to different situations, so you can take from them uh, what you want. But I think there are three things in here that you can see. And the first one is this, is to appreciate all of life as the gift of God. Appreciate all of life as the gift of God. You know, he says really a couple things in here in verse 12. He says, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy. And then he says it again in verse 13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Now we look at that and many of us say, well, that doesn't sound like scripture. You know, scripture, we're, supposed to, we're not supposed to eat and drink and be merry. We're, we're supposed to sacrifice and dedicate our lives to something bigger than ourselves. And yet, here it is in scripture. Well, I think when you look at it, what you see, though, is, is that the teacher is not saying that we should just all, we should live it up and forget about everything else. I don't think that's really what he's talking about. But there is a sense in which gratitude is an essential part of life. It's an essential attitude for us to be able to live. You know, because there are a lot of things to be scared about, a lot of things to be disappointed about. There are a lot of things in life that we wish were different. But whenever we allow ourselves to stay stuck in that mode of thinking, then it's easy for us to forget about the many blessings that God has given us. But when you can look back and you can appreciate God's gifts in the past, then you can also look forward and you can appreciate that God is in the future as well. That he is there and just like he took care of us in the past, he will also take care of us in the future. He will continue to do good things in the future, even when it seems bleak, even if life isn't going the way you want it to go. But again, the idea isn't just to live for pleasure, okay? This is, this is not a call to be passive, all right? And, and that's why we, we see a second part in, in verse 12. And it's not just to be happy, but he also says that, that they should be happy, but also to do good while they live. 
And so the second takeaway from this is I think we do good regardless of our situation. Do good regardless of our situation. You know, pessimism, pessimism about the future can oftentimes derail us and keep us from doing the things that we know we ought to be doing. You know, this, it can make us withdraw and complain about things and, and not get out there and, and be faithful to the things that God has called us to, to do. You know, sometimes to do good is to call for change, actually. You know, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Day on, uh, on Monday. And, uh, you know, this was a guy that was appreciating, you know, appreciated the gifts that he had been given, but he also knew that the way for him to appreciate that, to see them as a gift from God, is also to call for change, okay? And so we can, and so we can do that. Now, there is, there is a caution here as well, though. Now, there are some sectors of our society, even the Christian world, that seems to want to turn everyone into an angry activist. That sector, se- sector is actually probably social media, but... Um, <laughs> You know, everybody said, we just, we got to get out there and we got to save the world. It's our responsibility to do this. And, and, and there's something about that impulse that's good. There's something about that impulse that's biblical that reflects the image of God in us. You know, and, and we are called to serve the poor and, and, and serve others, care for the widow and orphan, even work for the good of society, to work for justice uh, where there is no justice. But here's the problem, is that in the absence of a savior, people in the world feel like it's our responsibility to save it but that's not the case for believers okay we already have a a savior now our responsibility then is to live consistently with the way that savior called us to live okay Uh, this kind of thing is illustrated in the book of micah um, chapter six God is speaking, um, prophesying against Israel because, um, as usual, they started to turn to other gods, turn to idols, they were living immoral lives, and so he was going to you know, lift his hand of protection. And so he, he warned the people of Israel to, you know, uh, through Micah. He said, these things are going to happen. And, of course, the people of Israel are like, well, we don't want these things to happen. And so God, they you know, replied to God, what should we do? And, and all the things they asked God about were like, we're going to be more religious than we've ever been before. Okay, we're going to go to church every Sunday. We're going to worship at the temple. We're going to offer sacrifices. What do you want from us, God? Do you want us to even sacrifice our firstborn child? And God comes back to them, replies to them. He says this. Maybe you've probably heard this before. He's already shown you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Consistently living the way God calls us to live in the world and not be derailed by the changes that we don't like, by the things that we think shouldn't be going on, to stay consistent, to know that God is faithful, that his word doesn't change, to continue to live out what he's called us to live, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Um, Most of the changes that we get upset about have nothing to do with these things. Finally, remember that God can understand and control and he is with you. Verse 11, God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. People, we long for eternity. 
And uh, maybe those of us who are older and those of you who are older than me, you long for it even more. You know, those, you know, when we're younger, we think, oh, I've got so much life to live, so many things that I want to experience. But as you get older, you start to long for it more. You know, not that, you know, I want to die or anything like that, you know. But you start to, start to think about eternity. And you start to say, man, that is really good. <laughs> That's going to be good. You know, maybe some of that is, is because we feel as we get older that life is passing us by and we're not sure if we can handle all the changes that are going on in the world or handle all the changes that are going on in life. Um, we don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't know why things are happening the way they do. But there's, there's an implication in this verse is that even though we don't know what's going to happen in the future, God does. And not only does he know, but he is there. Okay? God knows the how, he knows the future, he knows the why. And one of the cool things about eternity is, is that I think that there will be someday when we understand it too. That there will be things that are happening in this life that we just don't know, that we don't understand, but someday we will know. Someday we'll see him face to face. We will know even as we are known. In the meantime, we can trust God with whatever we're going through. Even if God doesn't fix it, he will be there through all of the changes. Um, know that, okay? that God is there. Cling to it. And let that perspective be your anchor. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And um, I just have to admit, change is hard. It's hard for me. You know, it's hard for me to see, you know, the changes in my own life. I, I, there are many, many gifts. You know, there are a lot of things that I relish. There are a lot of things about the future that I look forward to and and yet there are also things that change that just get me uncomfortable, that get me out of my, um, my comfort zone. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are feeling that same thing. God, help us to see that in the middle of all the changes, whether they're positive or negative, whether we like them or not, whether we're ready for them or not, that you are there, that you are our rock and our anchor. And that we would not look to our circumstances, that we would not look to the world to, to find peace in life, but that we would look to you, that we would see that you are faithful and unchanging, that you are always there, that you care about us and you love us, and because of that, we can handle any change that comes our way, whether small or large. So Lord, I, I pray that you would be with us as we live in this world, as we go through changes, both positive and negative, and the peace that we have from knowing that you are with us would anchor us, that would give us peace of mind and, and peace in our heart, that we would be able to live consistently with what you have called us to live, what you've called us to do. We pray that you would continue to be faithful in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.